I think one aspect of that, and, and Sophie's an example of it, is someone who not only has some background and an, an analysis of, of how you deal with people and an interest in people, but a desire to, to make society, to make systems, to make uh, communities better, you know, and that's that's what we are. We're, we're, we're social researchers, so that's a science, that's the methodologies that we use, quant and qual, you know, the, the research tools, but also with a change-making aspect. You know, we don't want to just spend our time looking at data and putting it forward. We want to see the communities in which we're planted thrive. We want to bring about insights and communicate those insights so that things can be better. Welcome to the Redemptive Changemakers podcast with your host, John Beckett. Hello, everyone, and great to have you back at the Redemptive Changemaker podcast. Uh, This week had the real privilege of sitting down with one of Australia's leading social researchers, a man that many of you will know, Mark McCrindle, and then also Sophie Renton, who works with Mark as the managing director at McCrindle Research, and just a real treat to um, share with them about what they do. So I think you're going to learn a lot about how the world works and how society works as they talk about uh, the art and the science of social research. Uh, But I also think this might be one of the best examples that I know of, of someone, of two people, I guess, who really allow their faith to inform and shape what they do and how they do it as well. And so I hope that you enjoy listening to Mark and to Sophie talking about how their faith informs their desire to make a difference in the world. You may have already heard that the audio on this one is not as we would have hoped it to be. Uh, Sophie is loud and clear, but me and Mark sound sound like we're sitting on the other side of the room. So our apologies for that. But if you can endure a little bit of not perfect audio, then we think that you'll find some real wisdom in this podcast. Enjoy listening. Welcome, Mark and Sophie. Good to have you here today. Thanks, JB. Thanks for having us. Um, I might uh, kick off with you, Mark. We uh, first met, I don't know if you remember this, but we first met, I think it was back in 2000. We were both part of a leadership development program together, and I remember... Like not being introduced to you, but looking across the room at all this, you know, I think I was 25 at the time, I was one of the young, youngins in the room and looking across and this man being described as Australia's next human kai and <laughs> thinking that's pretty lofty. Um, but you've been in the social research game for a long time, but even back then, that was 20 years ago, you were already in that game. So interested to find out how did you get into, into that space? Well, I phoned up Hugh McKay and <laughs> asked for a bit of advice. I, I, I really did. I mean, he he, he is a, a great analyst of Australia and, uh, and a great social researcher. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes it's easier to sort of have a plan in terms of looking at someone rather than looking at something or, or trying to map it yourself. And I saw in him a considered and, and research-based Commentator, I thought, well, you know, that's a great offering that he has given to this nation. So I you know, got a bit of advice from him as I was starting out yeah. um, with a psychology degree and an interest in people, and that was about it. Yeah. Um, in fact, at our 
earlier gatherings. He was one of the speakers that came. Yeah. You may remember John, and uh, and that was that was great to connect with him just a little bit here and there. But but uh, but yeah, it was. I guess I found um, consistency has been important. You know, yeah. we're we're in an era now where people like to chop around or or redirect careers, but there is something about having an idea of what you want to do in your 20s, maybe invest further into it through other studies as you move into your 30s and just be consistent through that in your 40s. And that 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 um, is what I've done and, and it is a way to, I guess, um, have some have some influence. Yeah, I'll come back to that because it is quite strange and I want to ask what helps you stay the course. But before we do, we've got Sophie here as well. Sophie, you know, the research director at McCrindle. So you've obviously come to the game more recently. But yeah, tell us a little bit of the backstory about how you ended up here. Yeah, it was actually a bit of an interesting story how I ended up here because I started off uh, actually as a high school chaplain, which I did that for seven and a half years and studied psychology while I did that and sociology. So had a real keen interest in people and helping, I guess, data tell a story of people's lives. And that's what attracted me to McCrindle uh, and learning about the different generations and helping organisations understand the generations so that they can provide the best experience possible and help uh, the organisation be the best version of itself. So that's kind of what drew me to McCrindle. So you both studied psychology, um, both mentioned an interest in people. Um, how... How do you make the leap from psychology, interesting people, to social research? What's the connection point there? Well, I think one aspect of that, and, and Sophie's an example of it, is someone who not only has some background and an analysis of, of how you deal with people and an interest in people, but a desire to, to make society to make systems, to make uh, communities better, you know, and that's that's what we are. We're, we're, we're social researchers, so that's a science, that's the methodologies that we use, quant and qual, you know, the, the research tools, but also with a change-making aspect, you know, we don't want to just spend our time looking at data and putting it forward. We want to see the communities in which we're planted thrive. We want to bring about insights and communicate those insights so that things can be better. And so he's been a real champion of, of transforming organisations and using the research to bring about change in our society for the better. And uh, we've got a whole team now who do that and it's exciting to see. So if you, if you, so if you think about um, McCrindle, let's talk about McCrindle first. If you think about McCrindle's purpose and how, how do you talk about McCrindle's purpose in the world? Yeah, well, I actually love McCrindle's purpose, which is probably good because I work there. Uh, But we really describe our purpose as that we exist to empower human flourishing by promoting truth, wisdom and beauty. So the, I guess, lens of people uh, flows through the very core of our organisation that everything we do is to uh, empower the flourishing of humanity and society. So in everything we do, we aim to speak life and to speak hope and to speak truth. We don't shy away from the challenges, but we present those as opportunities to go, okay, this is where we're at as a society, but how do we respond to that to bring about the best for our world? Yeah, that's good. And so obviously we're interested here, Redemptive Changemaker, uh, in a little bit of your story then in terms of you're both followers of Jesus. Um, so I could pretty much insert myself into that, that mission, that vision, but how do you... How do you think about your own personal sense of vocation and calling and purpose in the midst of, you know, what McCrindle's doing, but then more broadly? 
It's an important journey for everyone to go on, every follower of Christ to go on, to, to think through vocation and calling. And, you know, we all raised, if we're raised in the church, you know, in, in Sunday school and youth group, hearing about uh, great missionaries and great pastors and seeing great uh, full-time um, uh, clergy or, or full-time workers uh, in the church. And, and that can be you know, sometimes seen as the number one pathway, the preferred pathway. But when you look through Scripture, you know, God is using his people, whether they're working in courts, whether they're fishermen, whether they're carpenters, whether they're, they're um, you know, builders and, and in the trades for his purposes and for his call. And that's what, you know, I came to, to recognise and to clearly see that God puts things in our hands. He gives us a calling in our heart and a, and a passion for things and some skills and gifts and experiences and says go after it you know do yeah, things for my kingdom using how I've gifted and, and placed and where I've placed you and and that's what we try to encourage our team towards as well and you know we have this ability with research infrastructure with the opportunity to write reports with with the uh, uh, voice and, and experience now to, to lead about lead change through data um, to, to bring about some of those transformations and we're excited by that and, and those three words that Sophie mentioned as part of our mission, truth, wisdom and beauty, you know, you don't normally think about those as being associated with a research company. Truth, perhaps, because it is about data, it is about getting to the core of an issue. Wisdom, because it's not just about data. There's a lot of information out there. We want to move that from knowledge to wisdom and give that direction, that insightful direction. And beauty, because... God is a God of beauty in his creative world. We see that um, through the gospel. We see beauty. We see transformation. We see redemption. And, and even in writing reports or working with organizations through data, we can bring about that transformation. We can take data and make it beautiful in infographics and design. And we can see God's beauty uh, through us all fallen as we are uh, come about. And that's that's why we have that value as well. See, you've had an experience that. I've had in my life as well, very fortunate to have had, to be able to, you're the founder of McGrindle, to be able to create something that is an expression almost of how you see the world, right? That's a pretty big privilege to be able to do that. Yeah, it is. And and to to not only create it, but hopefully create something that others can step up to and also grow, you know, and sometimes the entrepreneur, the startup can be a bit finicky, a bit passionate, maybe a bit too protective of what they have. And I think, you know, really, if we want to have impacts, we've got to broaden up, we've got to bring others to the table, we've got to empower others and release. And that's the only way that vision that I'm sure we have can can grow and can be leveraged. And that's what we've tried pretty hard to do. And I'm sure we all see it as, as those who might be startups. We see those coming on board doing it better than we could, faster than we could, because, you know, they're in a sense standing on perhaps something of what we built and then others come and stand on what they built and the whole thing grows. And that's, I think, really the beauty of creating things is, is when we see it flourish and grow. Yeah. And I think Mark's actually an incredible example of that, of not just speaking that, but living it out, that uh, everyone on our team, we are empowered and we are trusted to make decisions, to own our area of expertise and to just keep lifting it to the next level, that we truly believe in that constant innovation, but it's innovation partnered with trust and accountability and that's what allows our team to flourish. Yeah, so you've been a recipient of that in some way. How long have you been at McGrindle? Uh, Five years. Five years and now playing a leadership role in trying to see that for other people. 
interested as someone who's stepped in rather than someone who's had that kind of creative uh, genesis of something. How, how have you found the process of finding your place within you know, an organisation that has purpose and you connecting your personal purpose with that? Yeah, I think that was actually a really interesting journey for me coming from, I guess, a pastoral world where you can see the outworking of your purpose in a very tangible way to then almost stepping back into the back room for a while and analyzing the numbers. And I'm a people person, so sometimes I got frustrated. I'm like, there's just spreadsheets. Uh, But then when I could sit in a room with the board and go, this is the story of your people. This is the story of what's going on. This is what the data is saying. But what do we do with that to create a better experience? How do we start to see some transformation within your organization? And that's where I found I kind of came alive that originally I'd done, how do we help an individual live their best life? And now I'm looking at it as an organizational perspective and go, how do I help an organization be the best version of itself? Yeah, that's awesome. So I mean, I'm conscious there's a lot of people we come into contact with who, there's two, there's two things, right? One is that they're struggling to understand the purpose of the organization that they work in or work within in particular again as a follower of Jesus or what does this mean but then you know a lot of people who sit in kind of roles that we see as kind of backroom roles or operational roles and they're saying well I don't get to see the coalface so that experience I guess any wisdom to share for people who who sit in those spaces and want to understand the meaning and calling that goes with them Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's a very individual journey for everyone. But I think what I learned is actually just ask God on that journey because he has gifted each one of us with unique skills and talents and also given us a brain to figure out how to express those in a way that bring him glory and honor. And uh, sometimes it's actually just being faithful with where you've been entrusted right now and doing that to the best of your ability and then other doors will open. And sometimes there are seasons where you're kind of sitting in the waiting room or in the dark a little bit and it's not clear because God only ever shows us the next step. He never shows us the full picture, which would be lovely and make life a lot easier, but we generally only see that next step. Uh, And sometimes it is that trust journey, but as we hold on and as we seek him, he has made my world far more beautiful than I ever could have imagined. Yeah, that's beautiful. A sense of yeah, faithfulness where you are, hey? Mm. But then there's also a sense of imagination for the future wrapped up in that, isn't it? And I guess I'm interested to hear from you too when you imagine, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the track, if you're still plugging away at uh, the world of social research, what, what, it, what is the... What is the change that you want to be part of? Maybe Mark, you could kick us off. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a great thing to be thinking about. You know, we, we're in that space of thinking about the future for you know, nations or communities or generations or organisations and, and trying to... Can I quickly interrupt? Can you demystify for us the, uh, the notion of being a futurist? <laughs> sure. <laughs> You've been referred to as a futurist. <laughs> First time I heard that, I was like, what, really? Like, you predict what's going to happen? Yeah, well, it's certainly not in the uh, prophetic sense that we see in, <laughs> yeah. in the biblical era. Um, I profess no direct line with God uh, in terms of being a sage of what is to come. It's standing on methodologies, and our methodologies are, you know, demographics, for example, and you can 
extrapolate forward and see change. You know, we, we can see trends that we're seeing now, for example, declining birth rates or increasing cultural diversity or, or closed borders at the moment as we have in Australia, and then forecast, well, what is that? What are the impacts of this as that extends out? Um, so there's data-based forecasting that we do a lot of. There's just an understanding of, of people or generational change or society and reading, as it were, the, the flags or the signs in our society to give insight as to what will or won't work as companies think about strategy. And that's being open to lots of different input sources. So, you know, we do have our, you know, the survey work that we'll do or in-depth analysis, qualitative work, you know, looking at data sets, but it's also just observing those broader changes in society and trying to, trying to, to mash up those those data points to, to give a bit of a, a direction. So there's some science to it. There is, there is. There's it's not just it's not it. just random guessing or sci-fi sort of. Here's what the 2050s will look like. We do try to leverage on trends that we're seeing at the moment. But but beyond that sort of work, you know, I'm sure any of us who want to have impacts, we we do think about what might be the future direction for us or our organisation and. And what I think is important to do is to have that clear and unwavering vision. And for us, it's empowering human flourishing. It's using the tools that we have. It's 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 wanting to see our communities thrive. It's being a voice to speak life into our society and our communities and, and use data as a, a real evidence point, a point of truth for that. But as to how that looks, uh, we don't have a clear picture, you know, because we want to be open to the iterative and, and open to the change that comes. I mean, for example, uh, the team now are running research using software programs that I never used and can't. You know, Sophie's, Sophie's uh, right across all of these or, or, or the design output that we have is skills beyond me. In other words, you know, our business when I began, it is a lot different to our business at the moment. It'd be a lot different to what it looks like when it's 3.0 or 4.0. And I think we're all undergoing those sorts of changes as well. And so so it's, it's not being so locked into a direction that we're unwavering. It's having the clear, I guess, um, uh, direction that, that pulls us forward, but being open to some of those changes that God puts on our way. Yeah, it's good. We, we talk about in our redemptive design process that we talk about imagination as a practice. Right, and a lot of what we do in society is so goal driven, right? It's like you set a point, and then, um, like you said, unwavering commitment to get to that point. We'll do whatever it takes to achieve our goal. Whereas we think the, the Christian story is much more, if you look at the, the biblical story, it talks much more about foundations the idea of who, who are you, who have you been made, who are you made to be, and what does it look to be faithful to God's story, and what does it look like to walk faithfully in the world, and that. I think is a much more iterative process but the biblical authors do imagine the future they talk about new creation and you know new heavens and a new earth and then they allow that to shape the steps we take today yeah but i think for the church and for people listening to this podcast that the process of learning how to yeah think about the future but just be faithful in the next couple of steps it's quite a hard one to learn in our culture don't have any reflections on that well just just continuing that you know it relies on us being humble in terms of our place in that understanding the sovereignty of god in all things understanding the relational aspect of our organization to our own journeys and it's who god places in our path that will shape our future not our own determination of will or direction and and you know we think about the, the people on our team now the organization is what it is because of the people and it's got a personality based on personality or culture of our team. So being open to that, and of course, God provides all of that. So, Sophie, tell me, I'm, 
I'm fascinated by this idea. Sometimes people talk of there are some people in life who are readers of life and then other people who are authors of life. I don't know if you've ever heard this talked about, but you know, the idea that some, t- some people accept life as given to them and they've just got to live within the confines of what's given to them and others step into the world each day thinking, I'm, you know, I'm going to determine what's going to happen here. I'm interested, your work seems to be a fascinating mix of the two, right? I imagine you spend a lot of your time looking at what is, and you've talked a bit about this already, Mark, but analysing what is, but then, yeah, it all has a purpose, as I understand it, to try and um, to look at what could be and to help organisations and individuals create towards that. What's your take on that interplay between authors and readers of life? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, as you've alluded to, it definitely is a little bit of both, that uh, sometimes there are things that happen in life or there are things that we're presented with but that we can't control, but we can choose how we respond to it and how we approach it. So in some ways the data is that, it is what it is, it is the uh, stories of Australians and what they've told us, but we can dig deep into that and try and look at the correlations and the connections and find those points of not just information but insight that really help us understand well, they're telling us this, but what does it actually mean when we look at this one stat in the context of everything else that's going on in society and the context of this organisation and their end goal? And then we can, I guess, dissect that a little bit to then put some agency back into the situation and go, this is where we're at, this is what the data is telling us, but what can we actually do to respond to this and make the most out of this situation and take a hold of the opportunity? Mm. And do you find... Do you find that in your work with clients, most of them are trying to understand what is so that they can respond to it or are they trying to understand what is so that they can um, more effectively understand what could be and how they can be part of creating something new? Mostly there is a desire to understand their context and their world so that they can respond proactively, so they can be fit for purpose, be relevant in these changing times. And, uh, and, and that means that they want a bit of direction in all of that. And, you know, it's a great point about the readers and the, and the responders or the communicators. We have three, uh, I guess, a tripartite sort of statement. We say we want to discover the insights and tell the story and that's if you like the reader but then we want to guide the journey and that's the the direction that we want to give as well you know so that uh, it's not just this passive let's understand our context and okay now at least we know the the environment we're in Uh, hopefully we can then say and because of this we need to respond thus or we need to head that way and therefore be better be more useful to the communities that we serve and that's what we try to bring into our strategy and direction that's awesome and so if we start to get a little bit tangible, I mean, the work that you're doing at the moment, you know, built up over many years, if we start to get a little bit tangible, if, you know, not, wanting, not wanting to project yourselves onto your clients, but if, if you're thinking about well, what, what's a sense of a bit of imagination that you have for Australian society, Australian communities, what are some of the key things that you would like to see happen over the next, say, 10 years? Well, I think uh, one trend that we can see largely driven by our younger generation is the desire for 
living authentically and living in accordance with values and we are seeing organizations respond to that and I guess get their internal house of their organization in order to live in a values driven way and the corporate social responsibility uh, is growing the pressure on that the pressure to um, have an organization that has a positive environmental impact and has a positive impact across uh, those that are in their um a product pathway that everything is increasingly getting an ethical bent which is, is largely being driven by our younger generations but I think that will have positive impacts across our society as we're holding organisations to account to do things in a way that does empower human flourishing. Yeah. And we, we, that's, that, that's an example of positive generational change that sort of is from the younger generation pushing up to lead change to the older generation you know and I think the broader business leaders haven't even yet recognised that. They still will talk about the stakeholders, the shareholders, the profitability and the productivity. And yet we have a whole emerging generation, exactly as Sophie says, that say, well, I want to have impacts. I don't want a job as much as I want an opportunity. I want to, I want to work with an organisation where I've got the values resonance and where you know, I want to see some social impacts through what I do. And that's why we're seeing a rise of the not-for-profits, a rise of the social ventures, the social entrepreneurs who say, yes, we need to make profit and pay the bills and, and, and employ staff, but we, we care more than just profit. You know, we, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of, we use the analogy, it's like breathing. You know, you need to breathe, but you don't live to breathe. There's got to be something more than that. And like breathing, a company needs profit, otherwise it ceases to live. But surely the whole purpose is not just profit, there's got to be something more. We've got a whole generation that say, you know, if you want to attract us or retain us in the organisation, you need to be offering something more. And that's that's a real challenge to a lot of business and corporates who say, well, we never thought about anything more than just profit and quarterly returns. Yeah. Um, and that's an example where the younger generation are, are restructuring, you know, the existing um, strategies. So then you have a you know, shift like that happening in society. But yeah, I understand you, you also come up against these systemic forces that, you know, there's sort of this clash, isn't there, right? Because we have company structure in this, in our society, and it's very much stakeholder driven. It's, you know, you've got a, the board has to answer the shareholders and have to act in the best interests of them for profit. And so there's some structural and systemic things that aren't changing while there's a big cultural change going on. What do you, maybe not specifically to that example, but what do you see are the key barriers, Sophie, to a picture that you have of the flourishing in Australian society? What's what's holding us back? Big question, eh? Mm. <laughs> You're going to have to give me a moment for an answer That's on that one. You got some off the top of it. Yeah, well, uh, you know, while while we're we're thinking about it, and these are big things, but but you know, we're seeing. Um even democracy change it used to be that through a petition or through the ballot box you could bring about change now it's through a trending hashtag it's through a social media campaign it's through social activism we see governments change policy uh, we see governments uh, through you know maybe a social media or a broader media uh, approach start to you know question what has been accepted practice so so that that's an example of empowered individuals we see a government therefore listening to younger people listening you know, right across the, the segments of society. I mean, that's that's exciting to see. We have, therefore, an empowered uh, generation now who have 
the, the, the technologies in their hands to bring about change. It's this asymmetrical power, you know, small groups can bring about bigger change. So I think that's a responsibility, but, you know, also a great opportunity to, to, to change the society as we know it. Yeah, shifting power structures is fascinating to watch, isn't it? Yeah, so mm. do you have any, any thoughts? <laughs> no, no. Too big a question, that's fine. <laughs> I just want to answer it well, and I don't feel like I've got something of value to contribute to that right now. Maybe we'll we'll ask for feedback from the people listening. What are the big challenges that we're going to face in Australian society? Actually, I do have one. I think unity, actually, uh, is probably the key challenge that we will need to address uh, to see positive change because we are starting to see, uh, as Mark shared, with the digital and the ability to present your voice, uh, that it doesn't take much to amplify an individual's voice. And while that is important that people have that freedom of speech and to be able to share their voice, it can erode at a cohesive community over time. And so I think to see the positive change within Australia that, that we desire, there will need to be a redoubled effort to build that cohesive community where people have the freedom to uh, speak their mind and speak what they value, but there's also a respect for each individual's opinion. And as we can have those true debates where people are allowed to hold their own opinion, uh, but we can find a common ground, I think that's what's going to help take us forward. Yeah. And it's, it's important, isn't it, you know, that we're aware of things that need changing, but we can, we can perhaps handle it in a way that's more moderate, in a way that can bring others on that journey. We are in a bit of an outrage culture, a bit of a cancel culture, and you say the wrong thing or you're on the wrong side of the argument and suddenly there's the pile on. And as Sophie says, you know, functioning communities have diversity, they have an understanding and they have a, a, a um, they have some broader principles on which they all agree and we seem to have lost that in Australia at the moment and we've, we've sort of picked up these issues that we disagree on and we've divided everyone but actually we have a lot more in common than are these particular uh, hot button issues that divide and, and you know the church is an example of a very diverse community that actually comes together with priorities of what we share, the gospel, grace forgiveness you know the fullness of humanity and the goodness of god and yes we have doctrinal differences or personality differences or political differences but we actually can make those secondary from the the primary and and of course we need to deal with the secondary but if we can have those unifying principles that's helpful a a workplace an effectively functioning workplace with a good culture again has the differences but we say here's the goal here's where we want to get to today this is what we're passionate about we celebrate the wins we, we support each other, we give opportunities for others. There's a certain selflessness that's required for this and an others-centeredness. And, and, and yes, the differences will be there, yeah. but we can align and, and get to a destination, achieve something, uh, mm-hmm. because we, we have the priorities of what we share together. Yeah, we often talk about how does the, the beauty of the Christian story come alive in the world, right? I'm interested to hear as you've as you navigate the work that you do. You've mentioned truth, wisdom, beauty. Maybe that's the answer. But what are the what are the deep resources that you think we have in the Christian story that we can carry into the world, perhaps the world of social research, and and say, uh, yeah, here is something that you know is fundamentally good for the world, 
and has a redemptive influence in the world and invite others to kind of step into the story and be part of that journey with us. Well, I think, you know, the starting point for the gospel and our society is, is not dividing people into the good and the bad, which we sometimes do on the right side or the wrong side. People have got the virtue and, and people that don't, but recognising, which is the gospel, that there's only the bad and that's all of us. You know, we're all fallen and we're all in need of a saviour. And, and I think it's that humility, it's that grace that our society needs that is a distinctive of Christians where we say, hey, I can forgive because I've been much forgiven. We can have the patience um, because we are, others have needed patience for us. You know, we, we don't need to point the finger because we know very well our own foibles. And, and, and from that position of humility that we can step forward, I see it all the time in, in our interactions with organisations, you know, mainstream organisations, there's a, there's a demandingness, there's an impatience, there's an, an anger, you know, if something is not to brief. And, and we all want to avoid that. And hopefully we get things right. But there's very little grace. And if we as Christians in our day-to-day interactions with the shopkeeper, when we're kept waiting, when we get the wrong order, when when someone we're paying doesn't quite give us the, the right service, if we can practice that grace, that's being a point of light right there. That's living the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's a distinctive of a Christian that our world needs a lot more of. Yeah, and I think we'll find that the, the small things that you practice day-to-day right, in, in the shop or in the car or whatever it might be, they're that's the practice that carries itself into the bigger things when you're engaging in the systems of society and presenting books and significant reports into the world, right? How about you, Sophie? What's a, some resource that we've got in this dead Christian story there? I think I see the positive expectation for the future as a key element that our Christian faith can bring into the work that we do and into our society, that we can be... Uh, I guess atmosphere shifters with hope uh, that we can do that through the words that we speak by uh, speaking life and by speaking truth with grace uh, that you know there's a lot that's challenging within our society and there are a lot of people facing some hard challenges and uh, there's almost a sense where we focus on the negative so much that it can almost take away the ability to see hope within a situation and I think uh, more than ever our society is needing a voice of hope and a voice that the world is not all doom and gloom but there's actually a lot of beauty within it if we will just take a moment to stop and see it. Yeah, and it's a key part of what we get to do. That's why we see that a lot is that, you know, you might look at one particular segment or one particular point in time, like the current time, and think it's dark, it's gloomy. But when you bro- when you survey a broader population, you see actually there's others that are bringing about change there. There are others that feel like that's already, they're on a solution side of that. Or, or you look broadly enough and you realise actually this too will pass, just like that other thing has passed. And so it's having the context, it's understanding the narrative. And, and you know, the gospel gives us a broader narrative. Yeah. It shows us that actually God is in control and mm. he is a God of redemption. And, you know, the darkness does give way to the dawn. And and if we can understand that, it helps us with resilience. It helps us to communicate a story of coherency to our society that just looks around. And we often hear this in our research or in conversations. They say, oh, wouldn't want to be a young person today. Look at the direction of the world. Look at the chaos. Look at the challenges we've got. They're insurmountable. But Christians can bring a moderating perspective to that because we see a broader narrative. We see uh, that we can bring about change. We can be those change agents. And we see 
that there's uh, there's a plan here that's beyond yeah. just our own existence. We believe in a God who is a God of hope, right? Mm. Mm. I think uh, myself included here, but uh, I don't know that we always are great at that mm. as as Christians as we engage with the world. We're we're pretty good at naming problems mm. and pointing them out and pointing out particular problems that other people have. And I, I just think the work that you're doing is fantastic in the way that you, you don't shy away from the problem, but the you have that that real sense of constructiveness of you know that yeah that you clearly as individuals trust in a God who is a God of hope and therefore you can be kind of fearless in the way you engage with the world but also that there's a sense that you know God invites us to to step into that story and be creative alongside yeah. what God is doing. Wonder do you ever get cynical or jaded? <laughs> uh, you know you kind of yeah you do another report another data set and it throws up uh, another set of you know indicators that says oh man maybe we're not doing as great as we were or this is the same story I heard 15 years ago or five years ago do you ever get jaded by the figures there's definitely charts that you look at that continually head in a bad direction you know and that can be um, wearying you know it can create fatigue I think all of the change that we experience can create fatigue for people so we're aware of that and you know a lot of people um, are experiencing this pain on a personal basis all of the time so we you know for us it's yet another data point but for them it's their lived experience of pain so we've got to be mindful of that but but I think if we again understand the bigger purpose we have a broader context we can see that uh, you know what might be currently being seen as evil God will use for good I love the the, the letter to the exiles in Jeremiah 29 that says you know what like you're, you're in an exile position you're not in the land you've been dragged off to Babylon but hey you know plant vineyards and, and eat from them marry you know your sons and daughters invest in the place where I've called you says says the lord and if the city prospers you also will prosper and and that's how we view our role in this world to help it our communities our society prosper to use the tools that we've got to make a difference to to hopefully live out those values those those christian values um and and in all of that despite the tough charts that we see you know christianity declining now consistently for a few decades uh or whatever the chart may be uh we actually can see that that there can be positives to that and that as individuals we can make a difference to all that yeah yeah i think when i see something that uh consistently is occurring that can be a bit disheartening and you go oh have we not addressed that yet it also just identifies those key points within our society that are almost the pivot points that help us understand which levers we need to pull and which areas we need to speak into as part of that broader context to be able to actually see the social change so while it can be a bit disheartening it also helps us to get a bit more intentional and a bit more laser focused to go this is still occurring and this is keeping on um, coming up but the expression might look different across different data sets but you can pull it back and go this is the root cause and so that just helps us amplify and go great this is the area that we need to keep investing in and addressing yeah so Sophie question for you um, we what am I trying to say here <laughs> we have a lot of, a lot of people that we come in contact with at, at Seed um, who listen to the podcast you know you're still relatively young in your career you've had the privilege and you know, the opportunity to be doing something that you love that feels deeply connected with purpose 
people maybe sit in an audience where you're speaking or you're on a, you know, up on the stage or you're on TV or talking about trends in the news and think about, oh, oh, that's amazing that she gets to do that, but I feel really stuck where I am. Do you have anything to say to those people in terms of, um, yeah, what, yeah, what's a, what's a, a point of wisdom or something that you've learnt along the way that maybe can encourage those people? Mm. I think for me, it's always just come back to trust in Jesus. Uh, there are things in my life uh, that you know haven't gone to plan or haven't exactly worked out as I thought they would. Uh, but then there's also things in my life that I can look at and just go, oh my goodness, God, like I do not deserve this, but you have opened so many doors and made a way where uh, there was no way that I saw. Uh, but I think probably it's it's part of my story, but it is just faithfulness, just being faithful with what's uh, entrusted to you and doing that to the best of your ability and whatever has been given to you, leaving that better than how you found that. Um, like part of my journey within McGrindle was that I came in as a research executive and then I worked my way up by simply doing that, just being faithful with what I was entrusted with and doing that to the best of my ability, empowering and developing leaders behind me so that there was someone else to ready to take that spot so that I could take on that next challenge. And so I think it is that, that being faithful whilst also asking God to go, God, what do you see? Like, I'm frustrated. I'm stuck. Like for me, God is a friend. Like my prayers are not, uh, you know, very deep. They're just very real. And I think, uh, we're not alone in this world, but God is with us. And so we can actually have those conversations with him and ask him for wisdom and ask him when is the right time to, push ahead and to shift and and sometimes that season of frustration is actually that it's time to look at something different so when I was working uh, as a youth chaplain I loved that role I did it for seven and a half years it was literally like living the dream and then there was a time and I was I started to get frustrated and I was like I just don't love this like I used to I was like god what's wrong with me or what's going on and I just felt that shifting of the season. And I think uh, as we can lean into that shift of the season, it can open doors into something new. So I think it is that kind of being faithful, but also that wrestle to ask God what's next. Um, Maybe you work with Sophie, you can speak to this more, but what I see in terms of the the little that I know of you, Sophie, is the way that you hold this real intentionality in seeking after God and seeking to step into the opportunities, the plans that God has for you, but also and the capacity to hold that loosely and to trust deeply and to, there's a freedom in that. So, do you- yeah, totally. And you know, Sophie's a great example of an enlarging leader who can equip others and empower others. And there's a few... Um, a whole series of, of, of younger staff members now that have, have moved into leadership roles through Sophie's influence and direction. And I think that's that's such a great opportunity. You know, to that question, you know, what, what do you do if you're stuck and you feel like you're just not moving forward and time is passing by and you're not sort of in the center of, of maybe what God might have for you? We, we found that there are three big um, leverage points or, or change um, uh, dynamics that that lead to that shift and and one is extreme adversity and you know 
God uses pain sometimes to shift us somewhere else. Another is just uh, deep discontent. And sometimes you're just in a rut. It's not bad or acute. It's just ongoing. And Sophie gave an example of that. And I would say, you know, listen to your heart and, and to, to those around you, because otherwise we can remain in neutral, you know, in treading water, if you like, in those times of discontent. But the other is the exposure to uh, an enlarging leader, to, to a leader who in some ways is living out or exemplifying what you want to do or be. You know, I mentioned Hugh McKay at the start of this, and, and he, he was not someone who mentored me up close, but from afar and, and through making those connections, he, he gave me enough direction to step out towards, towards where I'm uh, now at. And, and Sophie's done that for a lot of people in our team. And, and so, so I would say to people, get around or look at who might be a mentor, who might be a leader, who might be someone to give you that kickstart because you're sort of... You don't know where to go. You don't know quite what to do, but there are others that do. And by someone being about around them, they can give you the, the growth ring of the next season of your life. Yeah. yeah. That's the intentionality piece again, isn't it? Mm. Like it's uh, like our, our faith in God is a real, it's a step of faithfulness each day. It's a following, you know, it's an active faith. And there's a sense of not being, of being fully content, mm. 100% Content, but 100% discontent with mm. the context that you've placed you in, God's placed you in, because there's always brokenness. And I feel, I mean, it's a firm belief of ours that the best place to be is at the, at the edge of kind of that redemptive edge of the possibility of change in your context, wherever that might be, however big or large you might feel that is, that's the place of faithfulness. Mm. And I just want to, I guess, um, give a cheer to you guys because uh, the work that you're doing. Let me ask one last question. Just uh, as you look back, um, yeah, I guess what what have been the things, and you may have mentioned these already just then, Mark, but maybe there are others as well, what have been the things that have been most helpful for you in terms of forming you for the journey? Yeah. What have been the events and the experiences or the people that you say, yeah, God, thank you for that because it's helped me to navigate to where I am today? I mean, for me, in my life and in business, it's been adversity. You know, we learn and gain a lot more blessing through adversity than prosperity. And we all pray for the prosperity and the, and the, and the good times, but actually God gives us that great gift of pain uh, that we don't want, but he gifts it to us because it's the best for us. And I know, you know, our business, our direction, and my whole um, focus in the organization is what it is now because of some tough times we went through, you know. And, and I see firsthand, I've seen firsthand that God redeems us as individuals, mm-hmm. uh, but he also redeems organizations, and he redeems churches, and he redeems communities and nations. And, and, and it's blessed to see him do that. And, and that then changes your whole perspective. You say, wow, this is not my thing because it was dead and God transformed it, just like we think that over our own life. And I think to have that, you know, talking about redemption and being redemptive, to, to carry that, that, that redemptive uh, example or witness beyond just us as individuals to organizations is a great thing. And then we realize, hang on, it's not mine. We keep a loose grip on it and we seek uh, God for his direction because after all, it's his. He owns it. He redeemed it, and it's and, and, and he's uh, he's the owner of all things. That's fascinating, Michael. I mean, you, you look you look at scripture, and yeah, there's plenty of examples through the Psalms and you know, other places in, in scripture where 
it, you know, people do pray, you know, take this burden from me, release me from adversity. But listen to a talk on Sunday about um, the book of Ephesians where Paul, the bunch of prayers, but particularly in the middle of Ephesians 3 is this prayer that um, the people that Paul is talking to they might experience deeply the love that God has for them. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. It's not praying, uh, don't, you know, deliver me from adversity, nor is it praying for um, real blessing in terms of prosperity, physically or material. It's just whatever the season of life, God, might you bring us to a place where we deeply know and experience the love that you have for us. Um, It's a... a, um, Corinthians, you know, I will rejoice all the more gladly in my weaknesses. When I'm weak, then I'm strong, you know, because mm-hmm. God's got the strength. So learning to embrace adversity, mm-hmm. uh, it's not something we're great at, but I think really important. Yeah. How about you, Sophie? Yeah, probably a couple of things that come to mind are, um, as Mark shared before, just having mentors, having people that are ahead of you on that journey that can encourage you. Uh, sometimes there are moments that you get stuck in your own world or you can't see a different way out, but they can just come along at that right moment and speak truth and speak uh, life into your world and help you just lift up your eyes again to see uh, another opportunity. And I think part of it is also taking a hold of those opportunities that present themselves and even sometimes creating those opportunities. Like McCrindle, there wasn't a role going. I um, actually called my friend who was a cousin of someone who worked there and I was like hey do you think it would be okay if I like gave them a call to like find out about this organization and she was like sure so she kind of set up gave me the number and I just called and I was like tell me what it's about like what does it look like I know you made a transition from a youth pastor into the social research world like how did that work so we have our own agency to create those opportunities uh, but I think it also comes back to holding those loosely holding everything that you've been entrusted with very loosely and um yeah it's that combination of humility and confidence and i often think of the scripture that says uh do not throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded and i had to learn that um no one can take my confidence from me that's actually my choice whether i lay it down or whether i hold on to it and uh i had to choose to push down some doors but also go okay god the outcome is yours so i'm going to be faithful but i'm going to entrust how that works out and how that plays out uh, in your hands yeah awesome well, thank you both for taking the time out to chat to us today. I just know that people listening are going to be encouraged. Uh, I We invited you here because we love the work that you're doing and we think that you, know, you are an example, both of you and the organisation as well, um, of how we can step into the world in a really constructive way, hold on to our faith, don't have to put it in people's faces, but just align what we do in the world with the foundational story of our lives and um, yeah witness to the beauty of beauty and the grace of, of Jesus and the way of Jesus in the world so I want to thank you and celebrate the work that you're doing thanks for being with us today thanks, so thanks, thanks, for, you. thanks for seeing and all you do there it's, uh, it speaks our language it's got a great impact so we're going to be part of it thank you thanks guys thanks for listening for more information about Seed head to seed.org.au 